Hello, my name's Steve Kenny, and I'm the Chief Distribution Officer at Square Mile. And welcome to the inaugural View from the Desk, which will be part of a series of podcasts entitled Talking Research, where we will look to provide you with greater insight from our analysts and the fund managers they meet during the course of their day-to-day work. Now, the first four months of 2021 have proved interesting, to say the very least. In the first quarter, we saw a renaissance in the UK equity market with UK small caps delivering just shy of 16%, which was the best performing sector in the marketplace, closely followed by US small caps, which delivered just shy of 10.5% for the quarter. On the other hand, we saw fixed income face quite a challenging period with UK gilt delivering minus 6.23, with global emerging market local currency delivering minus 5.66. Now today I'm joined by four of the investment team who will provide you with their insights on the UK, global equity income, fixed income and multi-asset. First, you'll be hearing from John Moynihan, who is our head of research, who will be sharing his insights on the UK equity market. You'll then be followed by Jake Moller, who is a senior investment consultant, talking about what we've heard from the global equity income managers, closely followed by Paul Angel, an investment research analyst, and looks at the fixed income market. And what are we hearing from that particular area? And finally, Alex Farlow, head of risk-based solutions research, will share his views and anecdotes on the multi-asset sector. So without further ado, let me pass over to John, who will give you his insights on the UK equity market. Thanks, Steve. Well, following the announcement of the vaccine rollout program in early November, there's been a significant rotation within the UK market. Up until the end of October last year, larger, more liquid, perceived safer companies have held up better during that sort of initial COVID lockdown and market collapse. And then through the summer, um, there was a little bit of bit of toing and froing across the market. But by and large, it was the larger perceived safe companies that sort of had held up better. However, from the end of October, the opposite has been true. Um, so just to some numbers around that. From the end of October to the end of March, i.e. the last five months, small caps have risen by about 50%, mid caps by about 30%, and large caps up by a mere 22%. In addition to this, from a style standpoint, the shift has been more stark. Over 2020 to the end of October, growth as an investment style had outperformed value by some 25 percentage points. Value, uh, growth, sorry, had, had fallen by about 8% and, and value down 33%. But since then, until the end of March, value has outperformed by 20 percentage points. Both sort of uh, styles are in positive territory, value up 30, growth up 10. Fund performance, therefore, has also seen a similar shift with obviously the more value and or small cap orientated managers have led the way and funds with a focus on larger and more growth orientated strategies have been left behind a little bit so far over the last sort of five months. So the big question I suppose we're, we're kind of trying to get the answer to is, is this trend sustainable? And in short, we're hearing three answers. There's yes, there's no, and there's I don't know, which is obviously very helpful, the latter one. Now, why is that. To be blunt, the yes and no's are largely split by managers of their chosen investment style. So obviously the growth managers saying the rotation isn't going to be long term. The value managers are saying there's lots of inherent value in the UK, so the rally is sustainable. The argument around there though is that from the value side is that not all value stocks are created equally. And there is some recognition that although there are some very cheap companies within the UK, they are cheap for a reason. And one has to tread very carefully 
um, looking at some of these companies, you know, there's lots of disruption. There's potentially changed habits around the consumer. Uh, you know, we've all been shopping a lot more online during the lockdown period. Is that going to continue? Um, so therefore, stock selection is therefore key. Clearly, that plays more to the active management side. Um, the don't knows are probably the majority and there's a number of issues that could go either way in the UK over the next 12 to 18 months. So I'm just going to focus on a couple of those. The view around inflation is a bit of a mixed bag. There's three sort of potential outcomes. There's the, the sort of it stays low. Technology and hybrid sort of work coming into the office, working from home practices could mean that companies pay less staff as they haven't got cost of commuting to and from work, etc. Uh, as the economy opens and society opens up, there could be some pricing power uh, with some of the companies that have managed to be uh, survivors that have been fortunate enough to keep their businesses intact. But the other side of that is if it is a, a restaurant company or a pub company, for example, I mean, how long will the novelty of, of eating out two or three days a week last? So the potential for some inflation there could be quite short lived. Some inflation, which is probably the consensus, i.e. it remains low and under control. Bank of England don't particularly want to raise interest rates right now and, and any increased taxes would definitely not be a vote winner. The third outcome there is higher inflation, which is good for equities versus a number of other asset classes. But that obviously then comes with a number of the mechanisms to keep inflation under control, which could inhibit the potential recovery of the economy. In terms of the market outlook, again, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, the valuation gap between UK uh, companies and number of their competitors listed overseas does remain quite stark. We have seen some re-ratings, but there is a still a, a bit of a valuation discount. And of course, we can't forget the ESG angle within the, within the UK market either. I mean, quite simply, it's an old economy index. There's lots of oil and mining stocks. And in addition, there's banks that lend to lots of oil and mining stocks. However, the UK does have a number of innovative companies, some of which are doing some great things in the, in the environmental and healthcare space, for example. And these companies are further down the market cap scale, and hence there are, there are some risks associated with investing in that area of the market, but it does play to the strengths of active fund management. So, so all in all, um, I think there's a bit of a mixed bag, which, which I suppose is probably positive for, for active management, as I've said, as, as there's, there's lots of opportunity around, but investors need to tread carefully and, and therefore it does play to, to the active manager. Well, that's great news. So we now move to another part of the investable universe, global equity income. And I'm delighted to introduce Jake Muller, who's going to give you his perspective of what he's heard from the managers he's been talking to over the last four months. Jake. Thanks, Steve. Hello, everybody. Pleasure to be here. A lot of common themes there with John's um, presentation, but the implications for equity income are slightly different because of the dividend stream associated with the asset class. We've got five global equity income funds on the Square Mile Academy, and we've managed to touch base with all of those fund managers during the first quarter. And the themes and the conversations are remarkably similar. So there is definitely some themes that are affecting all of these types of funds. The biggest story is the global equity income funds have certainly struggled over the last five years or so the market has been driven, as John said, by momentum and growth characteristics. Typically, uh, equity income funds will underperform other types of equity income funds in that type of market because they, they're wanting to invest in sectors that pay dividends. So these are the, usually the um, larger capitalized companies such as utilities, uh, financials and consumer staples. So they, they'll have natural biases to those sorts of sectors. Also, many of the stocks which have been driving the market over the medium term have been the smaller companies and those uh, investing in sort of technology driven sections, which typically don't pay a lot of dividends and, and equity income funds won't be exposed to. Uh, another major reason for the relative underperformance of this um, asset class has been it has less exposure to the US market. So because the US market is typically has a high exposure to technology related companies, a lot of these companies don't pay high dividends. And you know most of the equity income funds will have a minimum dividend requirement. 
a lot of the tech companies simply aren't paying those dividends yet. So a lot of for these funds, it's been about what they haven't owned. You know, they haven't owned a lot of the more popular stocks, the ones running hot with momentum, the sexy stocks, the market darlings, however you want to put it. But as John said, there's a bit of a bit of a rotation now, um, which seems to have put the equity income funds back into better relative returns. Uh, I just want to touch quickly on dividends. Certainly in terms of the COVID crisis, you know, even comparing it to 2008, it was it, unprecedented. You've got to remember that dividends are, are voluntary for stocks, unlike coupons on bonds, which are a legal obligation. Uh, and many companies in the early stages of the pandemic, probably quite rightly, decided to cut their dividends because there was so much uncertainty. Um, and what's happened since the COVID crisis has unfolded and, and the vaccine came about in November is a lot of uncertainties around COVID have become less material. And a lot of the fund managers that we're speaking to are pretty confident now that dividends should resume normal service. And, and not more conservative figures, most of the ones we're speaking to are actually saying dividends should actually be as they were before the crisis. Traditionally, the global equity income sectors had a, a yield of about 2.75%. And the fund managers that we're speaking to are reasonably confident that this year, after a slight dip, you'll probably get back to that figure throughout the course of 2021. So that's some good news there. Following up on the rotation that John alluded to again, you know, just looking at the first quarter for the global equity income sector, uh, it's returned nearly 5% to the first quarter end of March against the global equity sector, which has returned 3.21. So it's not huge outperformance yet, but it's certainly a sign that perhaps some things are going to turn around. Again, yes, no one's got a crystal ball. It's possible now that the market is in something of a rotation that could be durable. Many of the darling technology stocks which have been driving the market are becoming very expensive uh, and less attractive to investors. Uh, Some of the undervalued dividend-paying stocks are now becoming more popular. And factors that drive many of these stocks, such as consumer demand for things that are product-related and service-related, such as electricity usage and energy, uh, are likely to increase now as our COVID freedoms are beginning to become restored again. One of the fund managers had an interesting analogy that the consumer is like a coiled spring. And as soon as we can get out and shop, um, this will be really good for some of the dividend paying stocks. The worst of the pressure on dividend payments seems to have lessened. And these two things combined could augur well for global equity income funds. Thank you, Jake, for those useful insights on the global equity income sector. And keeping with the income theme, I'm delighted now to introduce Paul Angel, who will share his perspectives on the fixed income sector. Thank you very much, Steve. It's been an interesting time in the fixed income markets, as with all markets over the last year, since the pullbacks in the first quarter of 2020. Until this year, fixed income markets, like equity markets, have been on a great run. And it's only been this year, as interest rate expectations have risen, that both global government bonds and also investment grade bonds have sold off, with both of them about 6 to 7% down year to date. Now, this is due to the interest rate risk that is built into these securities. On the other hand, high yield, which is um, a predominantly credit exposure, has done well as credit continues to form. So what are we hearing from here? Well, firstly, in terms of growth expectations, the managers are are generally and the market generally is of the view that this is going to be an extremely good year for, for economic growth, given the difficulties of 2020. 
US is expected to lead the way on growth at around 8%, the UK uh, coming in at about 6%, and Europe around 5%. With the US growth numbers, they should be benefiting from all the Biden stimulus and also the economy coming back online. So what does that mean for inflation? With all this high growth, you'd you'd ordinarily expect high inflation, which is, of course, uh, negative for bonds. And everyone is pretty much of a consensus that there will be some inflation. The, the, The base effects alone from such a difficult year deflationary year last year means that that we should see inflation this year and indeed we are beginning to see it already um, on top of that you've got a banking system desperate to lend you've got some supply chain issues um, and you've also just got the the speed of growth being inflationary you've got this this idea that as businesses start to reopen naturally prices will rise as, as consumer has a bit more in the wallet so the real question from there is right okay so how so how permanent will inflation be well the first camp seems to think that this inflation will just be temporary it'll it'll pass through the technology remains a major headwind to to inflation as does stubborn wage growth on the medium term the the middle camp amongst managers is that yeah, no, inflation will rise to more around the, the level that's targeted by central banks kind of a one to three percent and then the third camp, which 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 I think is is particularly interesting, is that actually over the medium term, government central banks will be pro-inflation, and this will be to to satisfy disgruntlement amongst the millennial generation who see the the kind of the wealth created by their baby booming parents, the generation ahead of them, who have owned assets and, and seen those appreciate in value, and actually there will be a demand from that that vast voting block that actually the asset prices that, that the generation before have accumulated need to be deflated away and wages need to grow to kind of level the playing field. And I think that's a very interesting view and will be fascinating to see how that plays out politically in, in the years to come. Um, so there are ways that, that managers can play inflation. As I said, inflation is bad for bonds, um, but there are instruments. There are inflation-linked bonds. Um, there are floating rate notes as well, which can both benefit from higher inflation. And we are seeing these increasingly held, particularly within strategic bond portfolios. So that's kind of the the spread of views on inflation. In terms of interest rates, everyone seems to remain in the the low for a long time camp. I mean, people have said lower for longer. Not many people think that rates will go even lower than where they are now, but certainly that they'll remain low. As I said, the US has projected the most growth for this year. So actually, a chance of an interest rate hike in the US is therefore highest. The currently Fed funds rate is around 25 basis points. So with the high levels of growth um, and, and, and the, the potential short near-term inflation that can come there, there is some scope perhaps for the US to raise interest rates earliest out of developed economies. An important point to make is that central banks across developed markets in support with support of governments have shown that they're very keen to pick government bonds down over the medium term. Let's not forget that these economies are heavily indebted. They need to pay off these debts and therefore it is beneficial to keep the rates low and also to keep current their currencies competitive in, in the global um, market. They also need to keep their interest rates low. So there isn't much there isn't much calling for, for big spikes of interest rates in, in the developed markets in the years ahead. And therefore, given that view on interest rates, duration, a lot of managers continue to be under 
underweight duration. Some have added a little bit as, as rates have sold off over the first quarter. But an underweight duration tends to be uh, or tends to remain kind of the, the consensus view within within the markets, particularly given all the COVID recovery, Biden stimulus. The emphasis is definitely to hold less interest rate risk. Quick word on credit, perhaps, as I said at the beginning, the high yield markets have protected returns over the quarter state. They have been the area of fixed income to protect returns given the lower amount of interest rate risk within the within the securities. And surprisingly, given how low spreads are or how high valuations now are in credit assets, most of our managers remain overweight credit risk. They think that the macroeconomic backdrop is positive. They see the central banks as continually supportive. And while the valuations look tight, they think that search for income remains and actually spreads can hit new lows in terms of the pickup and yield that they offer to government bond assets. So we're seeing managers continuing to be overweight credit risk on the whole. Now, there's more comments I can, I can make on, on high yield and, and emerging markets and, and even asset-backed securities as, as there really are a number of areas within within the bond markets that uh, managers can invest in and, and we can therefore talk about. But maybe a final word on, on ESG. As with equity funds, we're increasingly seeing ESG integrated as a risk factor by all houses. It is included in the analysis. Additionally, we're seeing products come into market. We're seeing ESG labelled climate related funds. And we have a couple of impact funds within the academy that, that we like too, which, which can be more difficult in fixed income because you don't own the underlying asset but rather you own debt in the company. So therefore, you don't have the voting rights that an equity shareholder would have. But we are seeing some some good impact offerings in the space. Thank you very much, Paul, for that interesting oversight on what you're hearing in the fixed income market. And finally, we turn to multi-asset. And I'm delighted to be able to introduce Alex Farlow, who will share his perspective of what he's heard from the managers he's interviewed during the last four months. Alex, over to you. Thanks, Steve, and, and thanks everyone for joining us. I, I guess, like like my colleagues, uh, there remains a, a range of views as one might expect from our multi-asset managers. Not a massive surprise, I guess, given that the Academy of Funds is designed to meet a wide range of investor needs. But if we start from a risk perspective, what we're hearing on that front, you know, managers are certainly favouring equities as an asset class at the moment, particularly over credit and investment grade credit. Although, you know, some are leaning into emerging market debt and high yield where the spreads are wider there. We've generally been hearing um, dislike for government bonds. And this is something that we've heard for a number of quarters now. Um, given the the low yields available. But given where spreads have gone, particularly on the US 30 year, um, we have been hearing um, that they are looking a bit more attractive. But, um, you know, to be clear, I think most of the managers are are leaning into risk at the moment. And why are they doing this? So I guess, you know, the sheer wave of fiscal and monetary stimulus is driving most managers. But we are hearing that this has become consensus now and the the debt buildup and potential threats of new COVID variants are just maybe putting the brakes on some. However, the the stronger momentum remains for the former and and people are taking on risk. I guess most managers would expect more volatility this year um, as they saw last year, but they're saying that this will bring buying opportunities um, and and they're looking to buy on on those dips. And as I've said, others are are taking a bit of a pause at the moment because um, there's been a lot of uh, price momentum um, on the upside. um, And I think people are waiting for more news flow before they act again. If we move on to inflation, and I think we've spoken to a lot of managers about this, and it's been covered a bit quite extensively in the podcast already. Um, But on the multi-asset side, the managers remain pretty polarised on this. I guess at the margin, we're hearing that 
mostly inflation as a potential threat, but not a significant one over the longer term. And they think inflation and central banks will allow inflation to rise above target for a while as they have allowed it to undershoot over the recent past. From a stylistic perspective, it's been a much more bullish tone from some of our more value orientated managers um, over the last quarter who have you know, been in the doldrums for, for a while now. And as you would expect, they're talking up their book, you know, expecting this to continue to push on. You know, those, those growth quality managers um, are talking up their book and saying, you know, it's a good opportunity to buy into stocks longer term now where they feel that they're getting a, a better value. But I think at the margin, we, we and from those managers that have a more flexible approach and are not wedded to one particular style, um, we are seeing them moving into more cyclically orientated areas in order to pick up on the uptick that we have seen, you know, since the COVID vaccine was, was announced. So again, a slight shift change, but more subtle. And, and that's only been amongst the, the more flexible managers. From a duration perspective, you know, most of the most of the managers that we speak to have been short of duration for some time now and remain short of duration. As I said previously, I think there, there have been a couple that have been buying into that long end, particularly in, in the US as the yields have got to a level now where they feel they're pretty much being rewarded. I guess we've discussed a lot and not just this quarter, but over the last 12 months or, or 24 months in, in terms of derivative use and how to protect your portfolio given where bond yields are. And we're seeing fund managers now making more use of derivatives, you know, either buying protection in there or using it to reduce their, their duration exposure because, you know, conventional a balanced portfolio, which will have a balance in, in, in bonds and, and equities, many think that, that won't, that's not going to work anymore. I guess lastly, we're just seeing managers being more discerning and more selective. You know, some parts of the market they've identified as looking pretty expensive, but other parts and pockets that they're saying looks a lot better value. And so, as I say, that they're being more discerning about their, where they're looking to invest going forward. Thank you, Alex. And thank you for listening to today's inaugural podcast, Talking Research. We would welcome your feedback on the podcast and please do listen out for the forthcoming sector snapshots, which will provide specific focus on a given sector and look to provide you with insights on what we're hearing from those sectors. Many thanks for your time and all the very best for 2021. This podcast was recorded on the 4th of May, 2021. It is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed onto or relied upon by any other person. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. Square Mile makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. The podcast represents the views and forecasts of Square Mile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity. Thanks for listening.